The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. question is absolutely vital. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Has Have your sins been removed from you? Are you walking righteous before God by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit? Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Today is an urgent broadcast. I am feeling intensely in my spirit the need to come and say some very honest things with you and to you. The scriptures say in John, the first chapter, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Has your sin been taken away? Are you walking washed and clean in the blood of Jesus? If you're not, you've not been born from above. You've not been born again. Now, this whole concept of being born again is not one that is spoken of very much in the New Testament. It's spoken of here as Jesus addresses the question, and perhaps one or two other places, 
But Paul doesn't speak about it in terms of being born from above. He speaks about it in terms of being crucified with Christ. Now we find in the third chapter a very wealthy man, a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. He was a part of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He comes to Jesus at night. He doesn't want to be seen. Now, the Gospel of John is different than Matthew and Mark and Luke. The Gospel of John tells the underside, and so you have to understand his words. He's saying, At night this man came. He wanted an interview with Jesus, but he wanted it private. And so, he addresses Jesus as rabbi. He knew Jesus was not a rabbi. He knew he was not trained in the rabbinical school, but he showed him honor. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replies. It is a striking response. I tell you the truth, meaning, heads up, Nicodemus. I'm going to shoot it straight. I'm not going to play games with you. I'm going to tell you exactly how it is. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born from above or born again, as the NIV puts it. Nicodemus is in a quandary. He had not expected this kind of answer. He was being courteous to Jesus. He expected Jesus to say, Thank you for coming. I appreciate your words. Now let's talk together. Instead, Jesus just shoots the truth straight to his heart. And he says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. We need to hear that today. You cannot see the kingdom of God if you are not born from above. Nicodemus, in a quandary, answers, How can a man be born when he's old? In other words, I can't climb back in my mama's womb. That's impossible. And hear me now very clearly. You cannot give new birth to yourself. You cannot go back into your mother's womb and be born again a new person. There's only one way you can be born again, and that is to be born from above, and that requires death on your part. It requires dying to my life. It requires being made into a new person, and here's the problem. Most Christians in America have never been born from above. How do I know that? Because most Christians in America claim they cannot stop sinning. They claim that God loves them and his mercy covers them. They claim that they're doing the best they can do. Well, we have a culture of self-help. And in the self-help culture, we have seminars and workshops for, for marriage, for raising children, for strategies for success in the workplace. If you go to any Bible bookstore, you're going to find the largest section of that Bible bookstore is going to be self-help books. Strategies for winning, for gaining wealth, for gaining righteousness, how how to live the life of Christ. It's going to be all about improving this person that I am. And if I'm not born from above, I'm improving my flesh. I fear many of you listening are very serious Christians, meaning you go to church, you pay your tithe, but you've never been born from above. Life is a struggle for you in Jesus. You constantly are are having a guilty conscience. You're doing things that you know you should not be doing, and perhaps by this time you've even lost your guilty conscience and you just 
go along to get along. You plunge into the dissipation of of the professional sports. You plunge into the dissipation of video games, violent video games. You plunge into the into the entertainment of the movies and the television and the drinking and the clubbing and you're not born from above. You're just a regular person who has a hobby of religion and you are very concerned about improving yourself. And so you view Jesus as the world would view him Mr. Jesus, how can you help me be the best I can be? I hear people pray, Oh, Lord God, help me to fulfill the destiny that I have in my life. No, your destiny in Jesus Christ is to be crucified with Christ, to die, and to become a do-lost slave of Jesus Christ. Let's look at that. If you turn with me, Over here in the book of Romans, the sixth chapter, I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. What then? He's saying, look, sin's not going to be your master. See, when Jesus is identified by John the Baptist as the one who will take away the sin of the world, that means he wants to take away your sin and my sin. Has he taken away your sin? And so we come to the Apostle Paul in the sixth chapter of of Romans. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to somebody to obey him as slaves, you are a slave to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. What is righteousness? Right behavior. Innocence. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Are you today a slave to righteousness? Repentance, obedience leads to righteousness. Righteousness leads to holiness. Righteousness and holiness are two very different things. Righteousness means that day by day I am doing what I am being led to do by the Holy Spirit if I am born from above. I obey the Holy Spirit. If you are still in your natural self, you are under the law. The law has never been done away with. The law is still binding on every human person. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. Now, a person who has been born from above is no longer under the law. They are under the Holy Spirit, and they have been transformed through repentance, through subjecting themselves utterly unto Jesus, dying to self, being born from above, Now, he continues, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Have you been set free from sin, or are you still under the bondage of sin? If you're still under the bondage of sin, You have not been born from above, and that step must be taken, or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 19, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness or right-doing leading to holiness. So 
Righteousness is right doing. And as you walk in that right doing, not in the human flesh, but under the direction and the power of the blood of Jesus and the direction of the Holy Spirit, you are finally made holy, pure, clean. Now, Paul says, this is chapter 6, verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Now, let me be very, very straight with you. There is a progression. Every one of us must enter into repentance before Almighty God if we are going to see the kingdom of God. It is step by step by step. As you repent before the Lord for all past sins, as you repent for attitudes and behaviors that you are currently engaged in, as you turn from that and you begin to utterly cast yourself upon Jesus, he will come in the repentance, he will come in the commitment of your heart to utterly serve Jesus, to leave the world's wickedness alone, to turn from it. And this leads you into holiness and the result is eternal life. There can be no eternal life for you if there is not a complete and full repentance of all sin in your heart, in your past, and in your present. It requires a full confession before God. It requires that you be honest with God about your feelings, about your actions. It means you give up your life. And you now become a servant of Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting, the word here used as slave is doulos. It was helpful yesterday. One of the elders of the National Prayer Chapel, David Sampson, addressed this question. And he said, We have to understand that a slave, the doulos, has even given up resisting the restraints of righteousness. Well, what are the restraints of righteousness? For Adam and Eve, it was that they would not reach out and take the tree of the knowledge of good and evil's fruit. They would not listen to the serpent, but would turn their back and put their trust totally in their Lord Jesus, in the God of heaven. It was Jesus who walked in that garden daily with them. We find in Colossians, the first chapter, Hebrews, the first chapter, and the Gospel of John, the first chapter, that it was Jesus who was the Creator God. It was Jesus who walked with Adam and Eve in that garden. To be a slave means I accept the restraints of righteousness and I turn away from the seduction of the devil. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better that you go into heaven maimed than to be cast into the fire of hell. What was he saying? He's saying there is only one way to deal with sin, and that is amputation, cutting it off. But in order to do that, you have to come and confess that sin before God. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to move into your heart and 
and totally change you into a new creature. This is what Paul called being crucified with Christ. We go through that cross, we're crucified, we go through that cross, and we walk into the fullness of redemption in our Lord Jesus, and he then begins to carry us. And we must accept the restraints on wickedness that he will place on our hearts and our lives. And what we say, what we do, the way we act, Everything is placed in the hand of Jesus Christ. He becomes everything for us. Now, the opposite of that, that I've already addressed, is a natural man who becomes a Christian, but he's a natural man. Christian simply means a Christ follower. Many who followed Christ turned aside when they finally saw the price that they would have to pay, they would have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. In other words, they were going to have to allow Jesus to be the sole support of their heart, of their life. Let's be honest. Some of you go to the television for the emotional support of your heart. Some of you go to the movies. Some of you go to the video games. Some of you go to the alcohol and the tobacco. Some of you go to the refrigerator. You go to places. You go to things that will comfort your heart. All of that is going to have to change. And Jesus alone is going to have to become the comforter of your heart. Jesus alone. It means you're going to spend a great deal of time reading the scriptures. You'll read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to learn the story of Jesus. You'll read the Psalms to learn about his character. Everywhere in every book of the scripture, Jesus is plainly viewed in the way he deals with sin, in the way he deals with man, the way he deals with woman. And we have to come and accept the restraints of that slavery. Because our joy is found in the glorious presence of our Lord Jesus. Now, last week, the last two weeks, I've spoken of my great love for Jesus. That comes because I've been born from above. I've left my sin. I am utterly given over to Jesus. Does that mean I don't make mistakes? No, I still make mistakes, but I don't voluntarily rebel against the Lord God of heaven. Let's just take a real quick peek at at 1 John. Let me turn there. You already know this, but I just need to make certain you're aware of it. First John, the third chapter. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So according to biblical definitions, sin is rebellion It is breaking the law. It is turning aside from the living God of heaven. It is making my own way and my own religion. And I have then at that point refused the restraint of being a slave, a do-lost slave, without the right of ownership, without the right of family, without the right in any area except to receive what Jesus will give to me. Some years ago, many years ago, 
I was in a grave crisis, a spiritual crisis of my soul. I thought I was going to die. I was at the end of every possibility. The situation was extremely dire. And in that place, and at that time, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Will you receive from my hand only that which I choose to give you? And I answered, Yes. And from that day forward until today, I have been faithful to receive from the hand of the Lord only that which he would give me. I will not take from the hand of the devil. I take from the hand of Jesus that which he wants me to receive. And so the struggle is, have you been set free from sin? It's a very simple question, but a very profound impact on your heart and your life. I'm desperately concerned that many of you are very religious, but you're religious natural men and women. You're not born from above. You've not been transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So you're still walking in sin. You're still walking in lust and anger, bitterness. You see, if, if sin is the breaking of the law, well, what is the law? Well, the law is the Ten Commandments. And then, as we come to the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew, the fifth chapter, we find that Jesus is saying that, yes, do not commit adultery, but if you look at a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery. Do not kill. But if you are angry with your brother and you cheat him you steal from him you've murdered him so the righteousness of the new covenant is much deeper than the old covenant in the old covenant you could keep the law and have a wicked heart but in the new covenant that's impossible because Jesus is primarily concerned with, A, our actions, and two, our heart concern, what we go after. And so, you have now been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're continuing to walk in sin, you cannot receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. The passage of Scripture I've just shared with you has made that abundantly clear. Eternal life follows the preordained steps of repentance confession of sin making a commitment to Jesus to belong to him to become a slave of Jesus choosing to do that which he tells you is right by the Holy Spirit being made holy without holiness no man will see the Lord that's real holiness purity of heart, purity of action. And then a person is brought into eternal life. We're going to pursue these issues this week, but I'd like to take you now to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is addressing 
the nation of Judah. He's been sent to speak very forthrightly to these people about their sin, about the horrible, shocking things that they are doing in the worship of false gods. And you find in the call of Jeremiah, I'll read you a portion of that call. He says, Before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I just want to say, God knows every baby before that baby is even conceived. And he has a wonderful plan for the life of that baby. And abortion is murder. And the person who performs it and the person who agrees with it is murdering an innocent person. And God will judge for that. And there is only one salvation for you if you have had an abortion or you have performed an abortion. And that is instant, real repentance and confession of your sin before Almighty God that you might receive his forgiveness as you enter into his kingdom. Now the Lord reached out his hand and he touched Jeremiah's mouth and he said, Now I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I point you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, to overthrow, and to build and to plant. So Jeremiah is commissioned as a prophet. Get yourself ready. Stand up. Say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. Today we need prophets who will stand up against the American culture and say, This is wrong. This is wicked. Stop. Because God's judgments will soon fall on America if there is not a great cry of repentance from this land. We have murdered the babies. We have as a nation turned to every evil and wicked thing. We've turned to utterly insane and wicked entertainment. I've spoken before of the wickedness of the Super Bowl halftime that was just plain pornography. It was sin. It was wrong. But that doesn't stand alone. That flowed naturally out of the whole cloud, dark cloud of wickedness and vileness that is pouring forth out of our news media, out of NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox. It flows naturally out of what's happening on the Internet and the cell phones as the wickedness grows as the violence grows, as the murder grows. Now, in the midst of all of this, Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord says, What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord? And then he goes on and says, And the priest did not ask, Where is the Lord? Those who dealt with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, the prosperity God, following worthless idols. This is America today. America is following worthless idols. It's all about fame and money and power, comfortable lifestyle. 
bringing into our home the most vile kinds of entertainment, the most violent of movies, the occultism, the wickedness on every hand. And it's against this backdrop that Jeremiah says to the people, there are seven steps down, and you have taken them down into darkness. I'm going to identify those seven steps that Jeremiah gives in Jeremiah, the second chapter. The first step down, he says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Judah had utterly turned aside from the temple worship Oh, they were still going and offering sacrifices, but they were not honest sacrifices. They were ritual sacrifices. They did not go into the temple and weep over their sin. They did not turn from their sin. As they would leave the temple, they would go to the, to the hills, and there they would have prostitutes. They'd have every kind of unclean thing. They would offer offerings to Baal, the prosperity god. What they wanted was to get richer. What they wanted was a more comfortable lifestyle. And I tell you, during Judah's time, when Jeremiah's writing, cash was flowing, business was good, things were humming. But they turned away from the Lord. They they forsook him, the spring of living water. The flowing presence of God was not among them. It was hyped-up falseness. I remember going to a so-called revival service in a large church here in Washington. And as the guest speaker spoke, he spoke in a manner that seemed rude, unrefined, hostile. And people began to jerk. And that was supposed to be the sign the Holy Spirit was there. It was a demon spirit that was present, not the Holy Spirit. They were not having a revival of godliness. They were having their sins blessed. I finally got up and walked out because I knew there was no presence of God in the house. The second step down, they dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. When I was a child, I lived in a little town called Bosler, Wyoming. Bosler was out on the prairie, open range. There were about 50 people who lived there. They had a post office and they had one little general store. The water they could not drink. So every week the train would come by and everyone would go and fill big cans, milk cans. They would fill with water. They'd bring that water back to their house and they would pour it into the cistern. And then they had a hand pump on their sink where they pumped that water out water to cook with, water to drink. Now, a cistern is just a holding tank. And what's being said here is that they they dug out their own cisterns. But they were broken cisterns that would not hold water. So the picture is that they keep pouring into their cistern their water, and the water drains away. Have you ever felt like your pockets had holes in it and your money was draining away and you didn't know where it was going? You pour into that cistern your entertainment. You pour into that cistern all the things you love and they dissipate, they disappear, they drain away. So you've got to have more and more and more and more. The marijuana doesn't take care of the of the stress in your life. It may hide the stress, 
but it won't take care of the stress. You have a cistern with a, a crack. It drains away. It's not a lasting solution for you. So he's saying, look, they've dug their own cisterns and they're broken and they won't hold water. Everything in their life drains away until finally they die. There's no life there. Life is only found in Jesus Christ. Hear me, please. Life is only found. Love is only found in Jesus Christ. Everything else will drain away. Everything else will dissipate. Entropy works. Everything is going down, 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 unless new energy is added. And so you can add new energy to your life through... <clears throat> the next big breakthrough, the next big challenge, the next big something. But in the end, you're left empty because your cistern was cracked. It's only in Jesus Christ that everything will last. So they head down to Egypt to get more water they head down over to Assyria so they can get water out of the Euphrates River. But it's all wickedness. It's evil. It's bitter. And the third step down is finally no awe of God. I talk with people often who have no awe of God. They are their own gods. They have an imaginary Jesus, and they say, Jesus is my best bud. He's my best friend. He goes with me wherever I go. No, Jesus, the divine Son of God, does not go with you wherever you go. You're supposed to go where he goes. You're supposed to follow him. He's not your servant. You're his servant. But in the natural, if you're just religious, then you become enamored with the idea of a of a secret friend, of a sentimental, loving Jesus who goes with you to wickedness and to righteousness. He goes to you with you to church, and he goes with you to the theater. He goes with you into the casino to gamble. He goes with you wherever you go, and you have this, Oh, I love Jesus. No, it's not the Jesus of Scripture. You've never been born from above. You can't see the kingdom of God until you're born from above. There's going to have to be a change in your life. Now, let me say something I've said many times to you. To be born from above is a supernatural work of grace that God does in our hearts so that our hearts are utterly, totally, and completely without reservation given over to Jesus. We give up our goals. We give up our dreams. Jesus, the Son of the living God, is not here to help you achieve your goals or to achieve your dreams. Those all have to be laid down at the cross. They have to be submitted to Jesus. He has his own goals. He has his own plans for your life. And it's a life of service to others that he calls you to. It's a life of, of giving up all your rights and being his slave and loving the restraints that he puts on your life. If I were to say today, okay, I've had it with ministry. I'm done. I'm going to go get a job and make good money. I've always given away everything I made. I haven't had what the world has. 
I have given my life to Jesus into the work of the gospel. That's what you have to be willing to do. You give up your life for the gospel of Jesus. If you want to learn what that means, read carefully on your knees the Sermon on the Mount found beginning in Matthew, the fifth chapter. You'll learn what it means to walk with our Lord Jesus in reality and not in sentimentalism. Our Jesus is the most loving, kind, considerate person. Remember, he said, Come unto me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My burden is easy, my, my yoke is light. But we have to love his restraint against the temptations of the devil. Now, we have no awe of God, Jeremiah says. You've gone out. You have no shame. That's the fourth step down. Number one, you forsook him, the spring of living water. Number two, you dug your own cisterns. Number three, you had no awe of God. Number four, you don't have any shame. You think everything's fine. Psalm 106, 39, they defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds, they prostituted themselves. A corrupt and wild vine, not born again, not born from above. How can you say I'm not defiled? I've not run after the bales. See how you behaved in the valley. Consider what you have done. You are swift like a she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her cravings, in her heart who can restrain her. And then number five in the step down is you finally just say, look, all I can do is the best I can do. I can't leave my sin. God's just going to have to accept me the way I am. There's no possibility that I can leave my sin and live a righteous life. I'll, he'll have to save me when I die. No, death is not your Savior. Jesus is your Savior. <coughs> Pardon me. He came to save you from your sin. Now, right now, today. He can save you right now if you will confess your sin and humble your heart. And not say, I love, I love my foreign gods and I must go after them. Money, power, pride, prestige, lifestyle, pleasure. My own goals, my own objectives, my own friendships, my own way of life. We have to come and lay all of that down at the foot of the cross. If you say, I love foreign gods and I must go after them, know that you are well on your way down into hell. As a thief is disgraced when he's caught, so the house of Israel is disgraced. They, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets or their pastors, they've turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet when they're in trouble... They say, come and save us. Come and save us. God is punishing America. He has destroyed with floods and rain the croplands in the heartland of America. Food shortage will come and famine will come to America. These are all judgments of God on our sin. Tornadoes, lightning strikes, sickness and disease, pestilence and famine, all of these are things that God sends to a nation that he is judging. 
have you forgotten God? The sixth step down is yet in spite of all of this, you say, I am innocent. He's not angry with me. But the Lord says, I will pass judgment on you because you say I have not sinned. You will be disappointed by the world. Now please hear me. This is so vital. That you understand that there is nothing for you except to repent. The seventh and last step down is found in Jeremiah 3, 4. Have you not just called to me, my father, my friend from my youth? Will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? This is how you talk. But then you go and do all the evil you can do. So you go, you pray, but your prayer does not match your behavior. You go home, and you turn the TV on, and you watch the wicked movie, the violent movie, which God hates. Or you go to the violent video games. You're walking out of the grocery store, you have to get a you have to get a, a gambling card. You might strike it rich. You gossip. You're angry and bitter. You have judgments against other people. You enter into dissensions and hostilities. All of this while you call Jesus your friend. And that's the final step down. Because you think you're fine. But you've never been born from above. You're still in the flesh. You're still struggling to somehow prove that you can do it, that you can make it. But you can't. Oh, my brother, my sister. Lord, my heart is broken. We have in America taken these seven steps down until there's no longer seemingly a conscience against the wickedness of our age and everybody just goes along to get along. And people say, oh, how terrible it is, and then go home and do these terrible things, wicked things, sexually unclean, emotionally unclean, living like the world, angry, broken, they won't turn to you and repent. I know today you're calling every person who's listening to a complete and full repentance and a commitment to belong to you, Jesus. Let it be so today. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'll continue this study tomorrow. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm very concerned for you. I'd like to hear from you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or go to the webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. I'll talk to you tomorrow. God bless you. I love you. I'm concerned for you.